slowly. Nice and slow. Ah, oh, damn it. Shuko, what are you doing? Jeff, bear with me. Let me come into the room again. But this time, I'm going to be really fast. What's going on? I'm testing the newest Bosch device that I have in my home. Ah. It's called Spexer, and one of its functions is detecting burglars. It seems to work very well. From know-how to wow. The Bosch Global Podcast. Let me show you in our video call. Um, I'll describe it for the listeners as well, seeing as yeah. they can't see what you're seeing. Good idea. Um, it's as big as my coffee mug. It's white, mm -hmm. round, conical actually. Mm -hmm. um, not unlike some smart voice assistant you might be familiar with. Yeah. Yeah. A ring of LEDs near the top that can be illuminated in different colors. And near the bottom, there's another ring. It's a mesh that lets air get inside. And that's to allow for the other parts of detection, right? Exactly. Uh, Spexer can not only detect burglars in my home, it can also protect me from other harms. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, it can detect fire, um, for which it uses a gas sensor, which of course needs to be exposed to gas it's trying to detect. Right. And I have to say, Shuko, I'm, I'm a little bit jealous uh, because I, I knew we would be talking about Spexers today and I really have wanted to get my hands on one since they've been in production, but they're not available in the U.S. yet, right? Which, eh, how? I'm offended. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so, so it is available in Germany, which is very cool. In fact, one of my best friends has it. And it, it's really an impressive little device. And it is little and it's just completely packed with sensors. Yes, and uh, so I'm going to bring out a little bit of, uh, of pride out here because you can get, for example, the Spexers in France. Uh -huh. um, and aside from France, also Austria and the Netherlands. Right, just rub it in. Um, plus, it's actually um, made it to the U.S. recently, Jeff, because um, I don't know if you followed it in the news, but um, it was on display at CES. CES, yeah. Yeah, um, so that's the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. And, um, and so, yeah, it had a little bit of a show there, too. Um, but Jeff, if, if you had a Spexer, what would you want to do with it? Uh, for my use case, we're not doing, we're not doing so much traveling right now, but <laughs> my best friend in Germany, um, he and his wife and their newborn baby, mm -hmm. uh, like to go out and do hikes and stuff. And so they have this mm -hmm. really nice, um, it's not exactly an RV, but it's a big pickup truck with a nice back on it. And so he uses it. His his concern is in the summer that um, it's not getting too hot in there in the evening okay. when they're sleeping. So you're obviously very sensitive with the, with the newborn. Mm -hmm. So that's what the real life use case is, I mean, happening right now. It's crazy. I wouldn't even have thought of that because <laughs> it's, it's not really a use case I would use in my personal life. Yeah. I was expecting something else, but great that, uh, that it's extends to something like this as well. Talk about invented for life, right? Definitely. Yeah. Um, and I think Spexer uh, can continue to help with, uh, with different use cases in the future. Um, and I know you're eager to talk more about the gas sensor because it's such an interesting piece of high tech. Yeah. And actually, did, did you know, um, it's... It's actually, there's a heating plate inside this teeny tiny okay. little thing. That's how, well, never mind. Don't let me fall into that just yet. Let's start at the beginning, shall we? Yeah. So, you know, really talk about Spexer's story. And this started a few years back when Bosch associate Tobias Riedel got an unwelcome surprise. 
It was in 2018 and it was in the early morning as I walked to my car and I saw the, the window is broken and the steering wheel is missing and the navigation system, the multimedia system, everything was missing. Ah, damn. Sorry, Tobias. Well, we are sorry, but, you know, it kind of was a blessing in disguise. And a few days later, I had the idea to develop a mobile alarm system. I don't know why today. I really don't know why I had this idea. <laughs> and my first idea was to develop an, an alarm egg. <laughs> I don't know why an egg, but the first name of Spexa was Sec Security Egg. <laughs> Security Egg. So I'm... <laughs> and, and just for the record, I, I remember back in 2018 when Tobias was pitching this. He had the idea of Security Egg, and when they were advertising this as a new business, he had literally just 3D printed an egg. And it was just this little <laughs> white thing, and he was pitching it like, there's going to be all these sensors in there, and it's going to be so cool. And I, I thought it was fascinating. A lot of people were just kind of looking at him like, dude, that's an egg. Uh, but he got there. But come on, what an amazing salesman or pitcher he must oh, have absolutely. been to be able to sell such an idea. Yeah. I am. Oh, it's yeah. a wow moment. It's definitely a wow moment. Indeed. Wow. But okay, so we can agree that the name could use some work at the time. <laughs> so um, <good. laughs> and the, the idea of Spexer was already pretty clear. So a small portable device that you can place somewhere and it, something in the environment changes. Mm -hmm. um, so in the case of Tobias, if your car gets broken into, um, the built-in car alarm fails, or the burglar deactivates it somehow, mm -hmm. Spexer will be more reliable and send a notification to your phone. Mm -hmm. And it makes so much sense, you know, uh, in crowded cities. I mean, honestly, when was the last time you actually paid attention to a car alarm? Like, you figured someone that just clicked their own key wrong? Yeah, um, exactly. And And, you know... If, if overnight it's parked a block or two away from your phone, or even even if it's an older car, you know, there's a lot of antique cars that just don't mm -hmm. have security systems. Mm -hmm. And so then then what do you do? Um, so how did Tobias go from the idea of an alarm egg to actually having Spexor as a real-life product that you can buy, not yet in the U.S.? <laughs> but in France. <laughs> but soon. <laughs> Um, well, at that time, Tobias is not an inventor or a product developer. I mean, you mentioned it. He came in and showed you a 3D printed egg. Yeah, it was great. Um, but he's an industrial engineer at Bosch, um, responsible for automated driving. And uh, as he talks about his idea with colleagues, there seemed to be a lot of interest. So Tobias starts pitching the product. And after a lot of pitches and a lot of good hints from our colleagues, we got the chance in 2019 to make our own startup within Grown. And I guess a lot of our listeners don't know, but Grow is Bosch's internal startup incubator. It's actually open to any Bosch associate. And Kostin Runa is the general manager of Grow, and he sent us a voice memo. Already 31 projects, mainly in the fields of AI, IoT, and robotics, started at Grow, and several have become very successful. Recently, the video Hashtag manufacture like a Bosch showcased the intralogistics robots of Rexroth, which started at Grow. And here's a fun fact. Why are we called Grow? Well, what do we want Bosch to do? Grow! 
I have to say, uh, it was really good hearing from Karsten. And just to prove on his point a little bit more, mm-hmm. in 2019, I had the opportunity to travel to Berlin and participate in their IoT business model training. And I was really one the campus they have there is absolutely gorgeous. So if anyone is lucky enough to go there, I highly recommend. And two, the experts that they have on site there that can assist people in developing their business model, in working on the technical architectures that they need to have secured. Mm-hmm. It's really impressive. Um, so yeah, I can only advertise a little bit more, like Carson was just saying, if there are Bosch Associates listening and you have a, a new novel AI or IoT business model, go for it. Grow gives entrepreneurs the chance to develop their own idea within Bosch with a whole Bosch knowledge, but you are your own startup with funding from Bosch. And startups, you know, they don't waste time. No. They want to move quickly. Mm-hmm. And so what Tobias told the decision makers at Grow to convince them was that he'd have the product ready within 12 months. It's super ambitious. It was ambitious, really. Well, for sure. And, and you know, in a way, it's, uh, and I guess maybe our listeners recognize this, it's, it sounds a bit like a, one of the crowdfunding projects that you see. Uh, you know, there's, there's a great new product idea, but it's really in the idea phase. Uh, then the groundwork starts happening, and they collect the support, not not only money, but the, the additional expertise and the business support mm. to really make it happen ultimately in a, in a very short amount of time. Except they don't usually have the great trove of expertise to tap into that Tobias had more or less at his disposal. Right. The Bosch engineering know-how that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, he needed to familiarize himself with so many new aspects of engineering. Right. Spexel is... Hardware, software, app development, backend development, it's a lot of work to do. So we had the idea to use a lot of partners and we do just the project management. Which, just the project management, it's still complex on its own. I can definitely relate to that. Um, And for sure, this (laughs) model worked out pretty well. After only six months, we had the first prototype, the first working prototype. Wow. And eight months later, we had our product into the market. Wow. 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 That is light speed for new physical products in the European market. Absolutely light speed. Definitely. And so if you did the math, not quite 12 months, but but 14 months or so, because uh, obviously the pandemic happened. Yeah, I, close enough. I'm sure a lot happened in, in those months that changed the device along the way. Just like the name, speaking of, iterating from SEG to Spectrum. <laughs> The very sexy name. (laughs) Um, It was definitely a big learning process, of course. So one of the examples that Tobias talks a lot about um, is the integration, for example, of the narrowband IoT. Mm -hmm. That's a special mobile data network similar to our LTE or 5G networks, but especially built for IoT devices like Spexor. Back in 2019, it didn't live up to its promises. We had that already integrated. And we made the experience the cellular network of narrowband IoT is not really working in Germany. So we had to change the whole PCB layout and so on and bring a 2G module on our PCB. That was challenging because we had the hope that narrowband IoT could be a cheap alternative for the customer, but it wasn't. So that's one very specific example of headache material for a new entrepreneur. 
Um, on a bigger scale, however, uh, probably the most important thing that Tobias learned was that Spexer can still get better even after the design is finalized. And on a bigger scale, probably the most important thing that Tobias learned was that Spexer can still improve even after the design is finalized, um, after it's manufactured and shipped. And this was a learning of other startups within Crow or within Bosch that mostly the problem is the finished hardware. In times of IoT, it's necessary to have a device which is growing with the user, which is growing with the requirements. And so we are able to bring new functionalities on the same hardware just with a software update. The team built Spexer with that in mind. They packed it with all kinds of sensors and interfaces so that it gives developers many opportunities to create new applications for it without being too limited by a narrow set of hardware elements. There are a lot of sensors inside. We have acceleration and rotation. We are able to detect noises, sound, but not voices. Noises, but not voices. We are able to detect air quality, humidity, and temperature. We have passive infrared sensors for the movement detection and also a lot of communication modules, for example, Wi-Fi, GSM, Bluetooth, Zigbee, and GPS as well. That should be sufficient to enable a ton of use cases beyond the ones we already mentioned. Intrusion detection, detection of fire, and general air quality measurement. Yeah, and especially on the uh, intrusion detection, the, the, the fine science of doing this. It's, it's interesting to hear uh, what they didn't build into that. Uh, Tobias said it twice, noises, but not voices. Mm. It can distinguish a loud environment from a quiet one. And that's that's the intrusion detection where, you know, it can mm-hmm. notice a window breaking, but it doesn't have a microphone that can pick up what people are saying. You know, you can't say, hey, Spexor, and then it, you know, does something. Uh, and similarly, it doesn't have a camera. It's only an infrared sensor. And that is an excellent protection for privacy built right into the hardware. And if you wanted to control Spexor by voice, for instance, that will become possible in the future when Spexor gets integrated into the smart home environment. Mm-hmm. Then you could do that by way of voice assistant on your phone and on your smart speaker. Mm. It's just it's just interesting. Ten years ago, uh, nobody would have recognized those two words being next to each other like that. What, what's <laughs> a smart speaker? Didn't exist. Uh, which, you know, it's an entirely new product category. And the same goes with Spexer itself, right? Um, it doesn't fit into a category. It's a smart, it's a smart something. Well, um, we can ask Tobias um, what it is that he invented. Spexer is a mobile alarm device. Ah. Yeah, but then that doesn't sound like it quite covers all of the applications that we listed before, um, because Spexer is so much more. Yeah, we need to come up with something... Marketing, come on, you're the marketing person. Uh, smart sensor hub? How about personal safety assistant? Smart guard? But Spexer is not only a mobile alarm device. Spexer is more than that. Spexer is a device which protects you against a lot of dangerous situations. For example, if there's a fire or carbon monoxide, or in the future, we are able to give you information regarding your health status. So Spexor is more than just an alarm device and, and more than just one product category. Can uh, I'm, I'm sorry, can we pause the recording real quick? All this uh, examples of smart home, um, I've turned on the radio in another room. 
So I need to go. <laughs> I, <laughs> give me a second. I heard something in the background. I'm like, what? Is, who is listening to music? Uh, one second, please. <laughs> hey, stop. And therein lies the dangers of a smart home. Yes. That reminds me of a uh, advertisement that we had in the U.S. Um, there was a, a popular actor who was doing an advertisement for a smart home. And he was on TV and it was over the Super Bowl commercial. So everyone had their TV on and everyone had oh their God, TV on Oh, God, I can imagine loud. what's going to happen. And yeah. he goes, yo, blanket voice assistant play music and everyone's home started playing music. <laughs> uh, good job, guys. Good job. Nice little gag, though. It's a nice yeah, marketing I mean, kind you of You have to ask gag. yourself if there was a marketer that did that on purpose. You have to ask. That's my conspiracy hat. Hmm, it would actually be a really good stunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so I'm sorry. We were, we were listening to uh, Tobias talk about the uh, health status. Yes, so talking about health, Tobias says that if you have a Spexer on your nightstand, for example, you could potentially look at your sleeping pattern. And in the future, we want to provide sleep tracking. How was your heart rate while you were sleeping? How was your breathing while you were sleeping? So we go more into the direction of health use cases. This is the vision because we see a strong demand in this direction. So Tobias didn't want to go too much into detail about how Spexer could be able to measure these things, but it would certainly be a great functionality to have because many people have sleep issues. Well, we know almost a billion people worldwide have sleep apnea, which is a disease where you stop breathing regularly during the night and then you have these snoring episodes in between. This is Erna Sif Einadottir. She's a sleep expert and director of the Reykjavik University Sleep Institute in Iceland. Oh, and uh, by the way, the day we recorded the interview, there were some renovations going on in Erna's house, so excuse some of the background noises. And we have about 8 to 10% of the population also worldwide that suffers from insomnia, that has problems, chronic problems, falling asleep, keep waking up during the middle of the night or wake up too early. Erna makes it clear that with these hundreds of millions of people affected by sleep problems, at-home sleep tracking really is a huge step forward in helping them. Because right now, if you want to have your sleep checked out in a sleep study, um, you have to go to a hospital or a specialized lab. And there's usually a long wait list. Speaking of which, Jeff, how's your sleep? Funny you ask. While you were talking with Anna, I was actually looking at my fitness tracker. Last <laughs> night, I got six hours and 51 minutes of sleep, which got me 58% of the recovery I needed. So 58. Yeah. I had a good workout. Yeah, but 58. Hey, come on. That's good. It's more than half. And, you know, getting up at 5.15 also kind of cuts off some of the REM cycles. So you do have a sleep tracker on your wrist then potentially or what? Yeah. How? Okay. Well, it's not. I mean, it's a fitness tracker. It's yeah, like a fitness tracker. Okay. Um, so I know that if I get less than, I would say, seven or eight hours of sleep, um, you don't really want to have me around. Um, and no, that's why we keep you over in Germany. <laughs> Although, you know, with events, sorry, I haven't been able to. I was looking as well on my health tracker, but I'm getting at the moment an average time, they call it in bed, of six hours and 10 minutes. 
So I mean, it's more <laughs> I'm than definitely enough. under. More than enough. Come on, don't complain. <laughs> well, anyways, Erna, she is the sleep scientist, mm-hmm. and uh, she's a real connoisseur uh, when talking about sleep. So on average, people need seven to nine hours, and I'm more in the nine-hour range, actually. <laughs> Nine Jeff, hours. nine <laughs> hours. So, Good Lord. <laughs> so you and I are definitely below average, um, and to be honest, it's not something we can be proud of. So, um, no, exactly, no, and really it will not. affect our health. Yes. And it does because a lot of people also choose to sleep fewer hours than they need. Aha. Uh-huh. So with the with the sleep tracking, people can be made aware of those things. Um, Mm-hmm. Now, smart yeah. devices, I mean, you were just talking about your one, um, and perhaps in the future, Spexer as well, um, can provide indications that something might be off. Um, they're not on the same level as the scientific measurements, obviously, that Erna does, but Erna's work could also help make smart devices more accurate and reliable. And here's how. She and her team will ask about 1,000 people in 24 countries to track their sleep for three nights. So is that in a lab or is that at home with uh, another device? Um, so it's at home, but okay. Erna will equip them with a lot of specialized sensors. Um, they're easy enough to use so that people can put them on themselves, which is relatively new. Mm. Um, and so far, even if you did a sleep study at home, uh, you need an expert person to hook up uh, the sensors. Her project is called Sleep Revolution, oh. and there's a reason for that. Participants in Erna's study will wear sensors literally from head to toe, but they can put them on by themselves at home. So on the forehead, we have electroencephalography, which measures the brain waves. And in addition to that, because we place them quite close to the eyes, we can also measure the eye movement. And we have electromyography, so to measure the muscle tone. And then in the nose, we have a so-called nasal cannula that measures the breathing in and out of the nose. And we also have then on the thorax and on the abdomen, we have these belts that measure respiratory movement. It must be so difficult to get used to this for sleeping at the beginning. I would not be able to. Yeah, I was, that's what I was, I was thinking about this. Like there is zero percent chance I would be doing any sleeping with, with, all this, with all this on me. And with all these sensors that are used, and maybe, maybe I missed it. But are the scientists also listening to people while they sleep? Do you mean the snoring? Yes. So some people actually call me the snore lady. So. <laughs> the snore lady. That is such an awesome nickname. I don't snore myself, actually, but I think snoring is quite underestimated. But there is a number of studies that indicate that if you snore habitually, like three times a week or more, that you have long-term um, consequences. So Spexer is more than just an alarm device, more than just one product category. In the future, it will also be able to track your sleep. And without being wired up from head to toe like Erna's study participants, um, it could make information about one's sleep much more accessible to people, although the data will not be as detailed as when Erna collects it, but much easier to gather. And I would even throw in something, you know, my other best friend, not on the German side, but on the American side, the guy bought a sleep tracking mattress. What? So the, the whole bed itself is a bunch of sensors that does exactly this. So now I love, this is why I love Spexer. It's this tiny little form factor and it does all these things. Like it's, it's solving, you know, 15 different use cases at once. It's, fun, it's fantastic. I mean, if, sorry, just with regards to the mattress. Who does the data go to? I mean, is it something that I could keep myself or is it then shared? So this is exactly why um, 
this is part of the reason he made his decision, and it's why I use the fitness tracker that I use instead of like a okay. a watch, for example, staying away from brands. Because what we're doing there mm-hmm. is we're segregating where our information is. Okay. So now not one company has all of my search data, for example, and my health data together. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're creating this natural, natural divide there. So some people make their decisions like that. So we've also mentioned it a few times now. One of the sensors inside Spexor is a gas detecting sensor. Let's have a closer look at that. We talked in previous episodes on how sensors enable completely new product ideas and functionalities. For instance, a combined air pressure, temperature, and humidity sensor that can help monitor the freshness and safety of breast milk. And then we try to integrate both sensors inside to monitor the temperature, humidity, and many conditions on the box. Then we deliver the meal from office to home. So many of our listeners might remember that this project is called Milky Way. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't heard about that, it's in episode 14. And you'll also find, of course, the link in the show notes. Now, the sensor that's used in Spexer is, is similar, but it adds it adds phone calls to the middle of our podcast Sorry, recording. Sorry, wait, it's a... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's, so... <laughs> it's my boyfriend, so... Um... My laptop. <laughs> I'm really sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> it is his first time on the podcast. <laughs> Aww, the rookie. So back to our Spexer sensors. Uh, the one on there is is similar, but it also adds gas detection to the mix. So that makes it a four-in-one sensor. Sensor so means all important parameters of our environmental conditions are measured in one tiny package. It's just a three by three by one cubic millimeter package, so very small. But measuring all parameters exactly at the same location and exactly at the same time gives us a lot of opportunities to reach really benchmark performance. You may recognize this voice. It's Richard Fix, and we heard about him before on our episode with Bosch SensorTech, where he's responsible for environmental sensors. And he's here to explain now how the gas sensor works. Now, you might be asking, which gases can it detect? But that's actually the wrong question. So it's easier actually to answer which gases can't be detected, yeah? <laughs> because <laughs> the number of detectable gases is, I would say, it's nearly uncountable. Wait a minute. Uh, which gases can't be detected? Well, in simple terms, it's gases that don't do anything. And uh, Richard will explain it in expert terms. Gases which cannot be measured are gases which are chemically, an expert would say, completely inert. So means they don't react with anything anymore. Like carbon dioxide or like nitrogen, those are reaction products. They are chemically inert. So means they cannot interact with other gases, with other molecules, or I mean, even with our human body, they can't interact at all. Okay, that makes sense. When they don't interact with anything, they don't interact with the sensor either. So it can't measure anything. Right. It's like you're, you can't prove a negative. That's exactly the thing. And so while there are certainly CO2 sensors, for instance, that is generally not a gas to worry about in your home or your immediate environment. Only in the environment on a bigger scale, I guess CO2 is a problem. When it comes to climate change... Sure, but when when you want to measure the air quality in your room, in your immediate area, other gases are much more interesting to look at, as as Richard says. 
the higher the reactivity is, and this also means for the user, the higher the likeliness is that those gases might lead to a chemical reaction or might, for instance, harm you as a person, right? Because they interact with your lungs, with your body, right? Such gases can be detected very well. Largely, what the sensor detects are also called voltaic organic compounds, or Volatile. VOCs. Volatile. Oh, wow. Don't correct my English. I, God, I do that's prefer rude. the vocal. Of, I, Holy I, I, shit, that's rude. <laughs> no, you said volcanic, <laughs> which I think is much better. But <laughs> It's because there just was a volcano, okay? I'm very stressed about that ocean volcano. It's keeping me up at night. That's why my sleep score is so low. Volatile organic compounds, or VOCs. And I mean, if you if you would have a chemical analytic system which could detect every VOC in your room, it would usually detect at least probably 200 to 300 different compounds, each of them in a very, very tiny concentration. So it's only tracer gases, right? But it's a huge variety of different gases. And that's the cool thing why you can use that sensor for an indoor air quality sensor, because it does not only detect one of them, but nearly all of them. Wow, that's that's amazing. How is that possible? Well, just to add to that, not just VOCs can be detected, but also carbon monoxide, hydrogen, many other gases. Like he said, it's better to go backwards and think what's not detectable. And anyway, let's let's get on to the the how. Or let me let me rephrase that. We're already had the wow. Uh, <laughs> now let's get to the know-how. Clever. The gases um, in our ambient air absorb on the sensing layer. And if gases absorb on the surface, they can lead to chemical reactions. So that's the interaction between the gas and the sensor that needs to happen. That's exactly right. And then the question is, what is that sensing layer made out of? And how does it do the sensing? Richard says it's a metal oxide, typically tin oxide, and it's doped with palladium to increase the chemical activity. That's just some bonus facts for the geeks. Of course, you know, we like that. Uh, for everyone else, what's important here is that the sensing layer has a certain characteristic that is not unfamiliar to anyone who has heard us talk about sensors before. I mean, what you need is electronic characteristics of that material that it's basically a semiconductor. Yeah? So it means that you have areas in the material, typically this is the core of the primary particles, which have a high conductivity. But you also need to have a, a surface of the primary particles, which has a so-called depletion region. So it means the conductivity of the surface of those primary particles is lower by orders of magnitude. And with that, you can measure the electric effect that the chemical reactions create on the sensing surface. What actually gets measured is not the gases itself, but the conductivity of the sensing layer. I think I got it. But those hundred of different gases that we talked about, do they all produce different electric effects then that the sensor can distinguish? Well, no, not yet. Because we haven't talked about the fact that this tiny sensor also contains a tiny heater. Oh, it's okay. basically a mini cooking plate. <laughs> and what you need to know is the chemical reactions which are happening significantly depend on the temperature of the sensing layer. And we can actually change the temperature of the sensing layer, for instance, from 50 degrees Celsius to 400 degrees Celsius within a very few milliseconds. So this means we can nearly digitally switch between different chemical situations. And, of course, 
as I'm sitting in the U.S., for <laughs> our non-metric listeners. 50 degrees Celsius is about 120 degrees Fahrenheit. And 400 Celsius is 750 degrees Fahrenheit. And that sensor can cover that range, as Richard just said, within milliseconds, which is also wow. It's crazy how much warmer it sounds in Fahrenheit. <laughs> yeah, it's hot. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's not, it's not warm, it's hot. It is. Um, so the idea is that different gases interact with the sensor at different temperatures, and that helps with the detection. Correct. Changing the temperature is practically changing the sensitivity. By measuring with different sensitivities, we get a certain pattern which can be specific for a certain gas mixture, right? So it means if you operate the sensor in different gas mixtures, you get different patterns in your sensing data. Okay, so patterns. The word tells me where this is going. We're going to need some pattern recognition, aren't we? All right, Shuko. <laughs> we are indeed. That's exactly right. This is where the software and the artificial intelligence enter the stage. The software detects the different patterns. The software can directly tell you how accurately can such different gas mixtures being distinguished by the sensor. And you can, of course, also use the software to optimize it. Different gas mixtures will lead to different patterns. And the more difficult it would be to distinguish, the longer you might have to do a gas scan, for instance. So it means the more heater points you might need. Yeah? And this is what you can optimize. Yeah? But in the end, you directly see by the AI-based software how accurately can the different gas mixtures be distinguished. And now comes the fun part. That software is available to anyone who buys this sensor, which is called the BME688 by the way. Uh, it comes with the software that lets you train the AI directly. The sensor tech team has put an example video online where you can watch them train the AI to distinguish between different types of coffee beans. Let's have a listen. Here's an example. Do you like coffee? Let's use the sensor to distinguish various types of coffee. Just measure the smells of different coffee beans with the BME Board X8. Then launch BME AI Studio and easily import and label the recorded data. You can then use this data to create an individual algorithm custom-tailored just for your use case. Fascinating. I didn't know that would be that sensitive. It's basically an electronic nose. Well, sort of. Uh, Richard admits that the sensor is not quite as good as our nose, which is far superior to any electronic nose. But Yes, uh, just like the other sensors do what our other senses do, uh, this one is similar to our sense of smell. Do you happen to know how many different things our nose can smell? Uh, no, but that's an interesting question. Uh, let's have a look. If only I had some sort of resource to help me find information. <laughs> oh, wow. Apparently, it's at least one trillion different odors that we can distinguish. That's a, That's a lot. Talk about big numbers. Good Lord. Um, but there are still things that we can't smell, but which Richard's gas sensor can detect. And importantly, carbon monoxide is one example. I'm, I'm trying to think of something the sensor could do in my household. Um, maybe it could alert me when something is burning in my oven or on the stove. <laughs> I'm sure you're never burning anything. In the kitchen, <laughs> um, uh, Richard does say that that is possible. 
Um, there are already kitchen hoods on the market that can adjust their fan speed automatically, for, for example, mm-hmm. based on uh, how much material the, the sensor is measuring. Uh, and he has another idea where it can be used. And maybe to, to add a very simple example, I mean, a baby's diaper would be something <laughs> where a leakage <laughs> can create a certain smell, right? And this can be easily detected and distinguished by us. Huh. <laughs> but you know what? I can totally see that in Spexer. Um, you could place a Spexer next to a baby's crib and then you'd get an alert when it's time for a new diaper. Do you think uh, Tobias wants to implement that? <laughs> I'm not sure. He says they're closely following the customer's needs. So if there Uh, are young parents, mothers and fathers in the customer base, who knows? Um, Software development is definitely at the center of what the team does now that the hardware is out there. Um, And if you have ideas what Spexer could do in your home, you might be able to realize it very soon. As I mentioned earlier, some of the first customers I know for a fact, very personally, (laughs) they have a newborn. So would would be a good use case. (laughs) And the next step will be we will have a public API to connect Spexo with smart home systems. We will be able to connect with um, Home Connect Plus from Bosch and in the future with other smart home systems. So the public API is a really big step for us to an open system, not the proprietary system, an open system. And this is really one of the biggest steps we had in the last month. This open system approach is is so intriguing Mm. and it's only making me want Specs for more myself. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Maybe I can just send you one over. Please. Perhaps it's time to start your Christmas wish list 2022. I'm sure Tobias yep. can't wait to see what you'll come up with. I'm on it. I'm totally convinced that the customer has many, many more ideas than we can create with our team. So the crowd will create new ideas. And this is, in my opinion, the big value add with this API. Yeah, absolutely. And and this this idea for sleep tracking is a great example. And if Tobias wanted to add a, say, snoring detection to Spexer, <laughs> that should be possible, right? Yes, hopefully. Yeah. In my vision, it, it will be possible. <laughs> snoring detection. It's just that I generally there's a person or potentially there yeah, could be a person say, sleeping I, next I, I to you, poking you with the elbow saying, <laughs> I have that stop already. snoring. <laughs> It's also automated. (laughs) As I said, he didn't want to reveal too much about the future applications, but Spexer is pretty useful already, of course. I got it. And I bet Tobias already has one in his car, like my buddy, uh, which started his journey into becoming an inventor and an entrepreneur. Of course. In my car, in my flat, I have at the moment, let me have a look, four devices around me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's great. So where you can't have one, Jeff, he has four. <laughs> I, yeah, I know, I know. It's just rub it in, it's fine. Um, and it, it's so he's got four of them lying around right now, and we're still working on the product category. So how about, uh, I'm still working on this, but, you know, uh, all-in-one alarm? So listeners, we're actually reaching out to you. If you have ideas, please send them our way. So the email address would be contact at bosch.de. That's K-O-N-T-A-K-T at B-O-S-C-H dot D-E. Tobias would appreciate your input. Of course. Would be interesting how the listeners would define that product category. I like, you know, something else because the the device is a very small form factor. It could also be something like MiniGuard. MiniGuard. I like that. It does everything you need it to, but it's not big. 
small ninja detection fighter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> From know-how to wow. The Bosch Global Podcast. <laughs> Anyways, Jeff, you keep thinking about it. I'll say goodbye to our listeners. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next month. See you, everybody. Looking forward to the next episode.